Hey, well, good evening. It is a uh, hey, it's a new a new session for us. It's the fall session after Labor Day, and we're in the uh, middle of Chapter 12. And uh, you look out there now, you can tell it's uh, getting fall because uh, you know it's it's getting darker out there. Have you noticed? At the time we leave now, it's almost it's like dark. So it really feels like it. It's starting to feel like fall. They're back home, in, in the real home. Hey, hey, hey. That was pretty quick. Quite an ordeal they went through. So, what are they barbecuing? The house got barbecued, but um, it, but it's up and running again now. <laughs> That's good to hear. That sounds like... Uh, the Lord answered a lot of prayers there. You can come over to my house and do that. <laughs> I won't bat an eyelash. Well, we're dealing with the uh, the last part of chapter 12, and uh, after that we'll be dealing with uh, the church and government. Right now we're dealing with the uh, the church and uh, enemies, the Christian and his enemies. You know, first of all, you start with down throughout the history of the church, and um, you look at um, some of the times where there has not been peace, and really a lot of the times there has not been peace in the body of Christ. There have been battles all throughout, you know, Battles that have divided Christians from the very days of the very early church. There were discussions, debates over key issues, such as the deity of Christ. <laughs> That's pretty key. The Trinity, of course, was very key. The two natures of Christ, all those had to be hashed out and hammered and because there were a lot of false teachings that were coming in and cultish types of thoughts, so they had to get together and bring forth what the Word of God was and the standard, and so therefore you had the creeds. Well, there were a lot of battles going on uh, at that time. We thank the Lord that the uh, uh, that that He won. He always wins. But... Um, if you look even during the time of Augustine, he had to battle it out with Pelagius. When you think of the controversy there, really dealing with the nature of man, free will, and that kind of thing. And, of course, Augustine won and the body of Christ won on that one at that time. And then you take it to about the year 1054, you have the issue where the whole church got split. You have the Eastern Church, the Western Church, and it was over the issue of the Philoque clause, clause, just one little word here, really what it came down to, it meant and the son, Philoque, meant and the son. And it had to do whether or not that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, or whether he proceeds from the Father. And so therefore, out of that battle that they had, you had the Eastern Orthodox church which split from the catholic church and so there's the great divide there and during the reformation then you had the reformers battling over a a key issue called communion 
and uh, you had Luther on one side, and it was dealing with the, the presence uh, of Christ, and then you had other reformers like Zwingli and, and others who uh, divided over that. And so there are, are the battles in the church. James Montgomery Boyce pointed out that the, there was this one small town where there were where four corners met, and there were three churches on those four corners. One was the Reformed Presbyterian Church. Another one was called the United Presbyterian Church. And then, and this, this is what, what's funny, the, the third one was for Presbyterians who were neither united nor reformed. <laughs> so, there, there you go. You know, all Presbyterian churches, but uh, whatever. But the church has had many divisions. They've had battles. They've had struggles. And uh, just like the world, there has not been peace uh, for very long. Uh, many times we can see that there's not been peace. And if it's hard for the church to be at peace, it must be extremely hard for the people who are not Christians, who actually hate Christians, for uh, the enemies uh, of, of the church to be at peace. Uh, it's got to be very hard. It's more harder than, than the church, right? Maybe. Um, this is the issue that we're going to pick up here uh, today, dealing with um, repaying our enemies with not evil, but good. Let's look at uh, this text. It starts in verse 17, Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we gather together around the very person of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that we can learn from who He is by the very power of the Holy Spirit, for we know that that gives you extreme pleasure. And as we see your word that demands so much that in our flesh it is extremely impossible for us to obey these commands, but yet you have made it possible. And we thank you for your word, your precepts. We um, just want to be able to take in your truths so that we can glorify you and uh, may your light shine through us that... uh, Again, that you are honored and uh, that we can resemble your Son just a little bit more each and every day as we pour in and pour out of your word what uh, your truth is. And we thank you for who you are. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, verse 17 says something that's been stated throughout... um, the course of half this chapter that started in verse 9. And uh, for the most part, that was dealing with how the Christians behave with other Christians, 
How about the behavior with the ones who are not Christians? How about the ones who are enemies? People who do things against you. People who may hate you. What do you do about that? Well, verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Repay no one evil for evil. Well, what about the Old Testament? You know, in the Old Testament it says, Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Right? Go back to... Uh, Go back to the law for a moment. Uh, Exodus 21. There's not enough room there. Exodus 21:24. Shortly after the Ten Commandments are given, you get uh, some more commands, a law. And in 21:24 it says, uh, "Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot." Burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Here you get into all sorts of laws concerning violence and even uh, uh, when, it, when it comes to the, the fact that the, the governing laws are made that when something happens to somebody, that's going. If somebody caused that to happen, and they did it purposely, then they have to be taken it equally. So, if you cause an eye to come out, you did it, then your eye has to come out. I mean, it just gets down to, uh, you know, one for the other. And then Leviticus 24:20, 20, still in the law, <clears throat> says, uh, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. Now, you see that in the Old Testament, and one might say, well, you know, that was back in those days, but today in the New Testament, we don't do that. Well, the law was meant for a reason, and what we're saying is that there's a civil law involved there, and your governing authorities... uh, have to come into play. They have to deal with people who have caused harm to others. And so that law is given to the the nation of Israel or to the country, uh, to that group of people, and here's how they are to deal with that as, as a whole. But it's not about personal vendettas. It's not allowing uh, vigilantes to go out on a crusade uh, tracking down people on their own or going uh, you know, uh, to somebody and getting back um, to them what you just suffered from them. But that's where it's giving to the governing authorities to do it. In the New Testament, Jesus kind of comments on, on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, he says something that would seem drastically different from what the uh, Pharisees and the people of the law had interpreted. And he says something quite... Uh, had to be alarming to him. He says, you have heard that it was said. You've heard this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, of course they did. It was was in the law. Uh, They practiced that. Uh, Matthew 5, 38. Matthew 5, 38. For I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. 
Well, Jesus is saying because in the law it said that, then there were many individuals that were applying that as far as people taking an eye from somebody. I have the right to do that. Uh, he's not has he's not having disdain for the law because he came to fulfill it, but he is explaining something and going further. He's saying as far as personal um, insults go, as far as offenses that go that you have taken from somebody else, uh, here's what you do. Um, uh, you want to overcome their evil by good. Um, if he slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other, right? We've always heard that. Jesus says something here that just has to totally contradict what they had always thought. And he's not contradicting the law, but he is speaking about here how a person should handle it. Uh, and then there are ways the way that the government is to handle it. And thirteen of or chapter 13 of Romans will get into that. And there's a reason that God has... Uh, governing officials, and uh, we we have the law to be upheld by those authorities. But as far as personal individuals, we don't have a right to go out and uh, cause the uh, uh, you know the or to avenge, you know, to get back. And so Jesus treats this personal offense, and he takes it up a step higher than what what they were doing. He turns it into, here's what you do. You know, you not only don't do that and try to get back at him, but um, he's really talking about what Romans 12 is, is talking about. You um, you love your enemy. And that's what he says in 43. You should have heard it ever said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, it was never in the law that that was. They were to love their neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully usually and persecute you. <laughs> Something quite different than what they'd said. But it is totally in line with what the law is talking about. Love God, love your neighbor. So he explains that out. It's This in Romans 12 here, this first phrase, is really kind of like the, the golden rule only turned around. The golden rule says what? Do unto others what others have done to you. Now the world would say that means whenever they do something bad to you, you go back and do something bad to them, Right? Is it saying that? No, it's saying, do them really good. Like you'd like to be treated, do to them. Do to them first. This is the negative thing. Okay, if they do something to you on the evil side, what do you do? <laughs> Return them with good. Yeah. Nick? Uh, well, whenever we were in school, uh, you know, they they said that. They, you know, they had the golden rule. But they didn't... Uh, they actually said, uh, do to others what, how you would like to be treated. They didn't say, do to others, you know, how, how they treated you, but just how you'd like to be treated. So they didn't take it, they didn't do uh, the bad way. This, you know, kind of de-Bibleized it. So they actually spoke the golden rule the yeah. way that it really is, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, Barb. You just said it. I've heard. How many times have you guys heard that one? Say that one. Before they do it to you. That's a pretty good motto. That's stated as far as the world is concerned. Yeah. So the, uh, but this this is a reverse side of the golden rule. It's talking about not not avenging. And of course, you know we we know all these. It's it's interesting. We take this. The Christian is in enemies, and I think as kids, even kids would probably say. 
Well, that's true. Do what is right. Right? Point number two, live at peace with everyone. Number three, overcome evil. We are to do those things. And we're not saying not to do those. These are uh, things that are expected of Christians, but we'll, we'll get to the point, well, how do we do these? Since we've already seen that these are really hard things to do. This goes against the nature of man. And it shows that, uh, yeah, we would love to get back at somebody. The first reaction uh, much of the time can be, boy, I'd like to get them for that. But here we have to go back and say, well, what what is it that a Christian is supposed to do? How do we do this? And that's, that's the key is how do we do this? But uh, repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. And the word for good is... Kalos, K-A-L-O-S, and it means, get this, good, it means honor, honorable, it means something that is, is right, something that is honest, so the, the, the good is saying we want to do good, people want to do good, right, I mean, usually most people don't go around saying, I want to do really bad things, they want to be good. We're taught in Sunday school, right? Remember when you were a little kid? If you went to Sunday school? No. <laughs> Most of us not, right? But be good. That's what you'd hear over and over. But um, maybe not always were you told how to be good. <laughs> and even if you, even if you were, um, that didn't always happen, right? But it, this is an intrinsically good matter. It's an inside good. If somebody's treated you good, then make sure you treat them good. Remember out on the on the playground how kids would treat each other? The girls would get in groups and they'd decide, Oh, Mary over here, we're gonna pick on her today. And they would give her, and might even do it for all week, you know, just go at her. And there might be somebody else next time. But um, then, of course, you know, in, on the playground, you got somebody smacking somebody, and you see blood in, in the water uh, fountain, and, you know, all those kind of things. <laughs> you know, that's the nature of man, and that's little kids, you know, just little kids. First grade, second grade, even. Second um, Corinthians, chapter 8. 20 and 21. As we're talking about good here. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us and this lavish gift which is ministered by us, providing honorable things, or good things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also on the sight of men. Christians, really, above all, really are to lead the way in what is good, Really, we are the ones who know what good is or are learning what good is. It's There's no one good but who? Jesus Christ. We're to pursue the best in all areas. Uh, we want to take the high road. We're to live on such a high plane that even unbelievers will recognize the fact. Well, sometimes when they recognize it, it's to the detriment of you because they don't like it whenever you're doing that. You're living on a high plane. But a lot of times they do. They, they observe that behavior. Uh, look in Philippians 4.8. 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. All of those. Quite a lot of room for reason. Oh boy, a lot. Yeah. I, well, I think that, that maybe to go on from that, but I think a lot of times we look at uh, some of these things as being very restrictive. There's two ways to look at that at that thought there. I think anyway. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Pure, lovely, uh, good things, just things. Um, putting our thoughts on those. Meditating. Think about those. We could think about things that are not good. We could think of things that could make us even more mad because somebody did to us, but then what? where is our mind supposed to be? Oh, well, If we renew our mind in the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, then we're going to think differently. If we start thinking on what's noble, what's just, well, who's just? Who is noble? I think it starts with knowing God, think about His attributes, and then turning that into um, you know, our own desire of, of uh, communicating Christ through our own life. But good is, uh, I think in today's culture, really strikes uh, against the grain because what is good? You know, what is truth? You know? Absolutism, which is what we believe in, versus relativity. Moral relativity. How much uh, have you heard about that in today's world? Everything's relative. There are no absolutes, as they teach in this school. Of course, we know that they don't even believe that. They have to have the rules, and those are absolutes. By the way, the kids are taught that there are no absolutes, and then yet they have to be at school at what time? And then they get out of school at what time? And they're supposed to come to school every day, and they're supposed to do their homework, and supposed to take tests. Those are absolute rules that they have to do. (laughs) Anyway, uh, moral absolutes really is kind of what holds a society together. Ultimately, it's the Lord who does it, but <laughs> I think it could possibly be. If you don't, if you take away that, then what do you have? Don't have any connection, do you? You don't have any foundation, and once the foundation is taken out, yeah. But well, God is the foundation. God is the one who is the one who's absolute. He is the truth. Once you start taking him out in this area, and then in this area, you have chunks falling apart, falling out of that foundation. And then whenever he's taken out in in other areas, now the foundation is really wavy. And now it's crumbling. It's falling apart. And so therefore, um, you get what has happened historically to other nations that have falling apart down through the years. Whether it be the Roman Empire, or Babylonian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, just continue on down through history and you see what has happened. Uh, we, we have to have absolute values. And of course, we as Christians know that this is what's absolute. 
This is truth. It's a virtue. But anymore in the world, it's not a virtue. Truth. It's what you want to make. <laughs> to have ethics. We need absolute values to have what ethics are. Well, ethics don't seem to be anything. When life doesn't mean anything, as far as humans are concerned, that's one of the biggest ethics, one of the biggest arguments. Probably, well, it's the biggest argument, isn't it? Life in itself. Well, then, how can we know what is right if we live in a society that says that uh, it may not necessarily be right? That's right to you, but it's not right to me. <laughs> it's left to me. We need to know the right thing. If, if we take this Romans 12, and it says this, I would be asking, especially I just woke up in this culture, and all of a sudden it says, have regard for good things. Or for right things. That's the idea. Good or right. What is good? What is right? We have to know what that is. So we can do it. We're commanded to do it, but what is it? Well, a relative culture would say it's impossible to know. It's impossible to know what the right thing to do is. At least on certain things. They do have laws on certain things. As <laughs> long as it doesn't affect somebody else. And that's how they rule that now. Like, if you were to go out and murder somebody, of course you can't do that. That could affect somebody else. What if I want to run a red light and there's nobody else around? That's not affecting anybody. I can do that, can't I? Well, police car's over there and he sees me run that red light and he pulls me over. <laughs> I, I can tell him, hey, no absolutes here, but what good is that going to do? Well, to some degree, that is. Uh, we do do that, even with red lights. We still run them, right? Nobody else. What's that? If you're on a bicycle, you can generally get away with it. You've never been pulled over for that. I don't. I ran a red light right in front of a police officer one morning. Now, does it does it uh, is it effective for uh, the the bikes? I think it is, isn't it? It's, it's, Do they have to stop? Every place except um, I think it's Idaho. It's called the Idaho Stop Law. And in Idaho. Um, a bike does not have to stop at a red light. He can come to the intersection. If the intersection is clear, he can go right on through it. If he comes to a stop sign and the intersection is clear, he can go on through it. Then that's lose his momentum. Uh, if he comes to an intersection and someone else goes and it clears as he's coming up to it, then he can go, he can go on through it, even though it's it's just been clear. Huh. If he comes to a stop and it clears, he can go ahead and start before the rest of the traffic starts. But in Missouri, bicycles aren't supposed to abide by all automotive. In all, in all of the 49 states. It's that way. That's why it's called the, the Idaho Stop Law. So it is, it, is a, uh, it is an absolute law. But it's not taken absolute. So. Well, neither is it in your car. I mean, if you're out in the middle of the night and you're sitting on a rail, you feel stupid. Mm. There's no cars. I'm not sitting on the light. The only, the only defense at that point is if, is if it doesn't change. Well, the light did not change. That's right. I was there for half a second and it didn't change. If you can convince them that it's broken, then you can go through, legally you can go through a broken 
We can feel good about that one. We've all done that, too. The real argument is that the bike doesn't carry enough metal to make that thing cycle, you know, the ones that are running the magnet. Yeah. So I can go on three of those. Because that, that's the ones that detect if there's... Yeah. That's all rationalizing. That's all rationalizing. There you go. <laughs> So there we go. And if you live in that society, really that's the way that it really should be. I mean, why should there be laws if there's no absolutes? But the good thing to do is to, to follow those laws. We do most of the time. <laughs> but sometimes, like you're, you're like you're, you're saying, sometimes we might. There's nobody. Here. It reminds me, my dad one time, and there was nobody around at all, and uh, went. Yeah, my son. <laughs> and my mom said, Bob, that's a red light. And he said, be quiet. Be quiet, Nellie. There's no cop around. He still remember that. <laughs> but um, now, there's one thing about knowing what is right. And we as Christians, I think we know what is right most of the time. There might be some things we still don't know yet. We're, we're learning. But for the most part, most things are pretty automatic. Even, you know, even non-Christians know what is right on a lot of things. But having the will to do what is right is another thing. There's one thing about knowing it. But then having that will to absolutely do it. It's one thing to know, right? I think we can go to Romans 7 and um, see that come into play. Like verse 15, you know this. For what am I doing? I, don't, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. <laughs> yeah, how many times have you um, quoted that? But you look down into verse 25, and here's the answer. Well, 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm incarcerated in this flesh. But then he says, Oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exclamation point. <laughs> That's because he he saw himself in this battle. And... Then he says, oh, I'm such a wretch. Why am I not doing the things that I know that I should be doing? And vice versa. And he says, my flesh and I'm a wretch. Oh, Jesus Christ is how I can do this. No condemnation in Christ. I want to do the things in in Christ through His power. It's being in Christ. So... Whenever we we put that instead, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. People do watch us, and we want to make sure that this kalos good, is, this intrinsic good, shines through. It's the person of Christ that that does it. Uh, we don't. Our will still is, you know, it it uh, does the things that your mind tells it to do, and if your mind is being transformed then your will will do things that regard the things of Christ, the good things. That's where you want it. You want your will there. Well, 
right but thinking does this. That's why your dad didn't obey that light is because he never agreed that light should have been there in the first place. I know. He, that light, you know, light he had there. been there before when there wasn't a light there. <laughs> he didn't vote for that light to be there, so he wasn't going to go by it perturbed him to sit there when there was no traffic many times. No, if there were cars there, he would. Penny knows the light we're talking about. Yeah. I do the same thing. I at night and there's nobody around and there's a stupid light. It wasn't always there. It wasn't always there. And oh, now all of a sudden I can't figure out whether there's a car coming. So then, so then there your will, there your will is taking control of your mind. I can't even see the light I get so mad. Oh. Well, your emotions Does it help if I feel bad sometimes? Does that make a difference? I know I did wrong thing and now I feel bad about it. Well, as long as you have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, I... I Knowing what is right simply makes life more difficult. And so, give us the answer. <laughs> now, you're not putting that out and saying, I don't know about this. Well, thank you. Give me. us the answer. <laughs> that's, that's what that's all about. Because, you know, it was really a lot easier for me if, when I didn't know as much about the Lord's will as I know now. Because... <laughs> yeah. yeah. This I'm takes us We need to go back to Romans 7 because I'm still doing the wrong thing. And now it really bothers me. Well, that's... And that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Well, it's but showing... It's not like it. I don't have the will to do the right thing. I really, really want to do the right thing. It's just... It doesn't always happen that way. So you're saying we have a bottle, uh, uh, a, a battle with our flesh constantly, as Paul said. <laughs> it is a battle. What might the answer the problem? Is said just do it. Oh, yeah, just just do it anyway, right? <laughs> well, I could. I I used to tell my wife and kids. After I became a Christian there for the longest time, hey, I'm not Jesus Christ. I can't be him. <laughs> and you know what? He didn't. He dealt with me on that. Mm-hmm. That was my attitude was wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not Jesus Christ, but he lives in me. And eventually, he brought me into conformity of you know more awareness of knowing that hey, I gotta you know seek righteousness. You know, and 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 the higher view, you know, the the higher call, and you know, if I want to serve him, do his will, and and understand his wisdom, I have to be teachable. So you couldn't use that excuse anymore. And and it is harder, but it's I'd rather have Jesus leading me than me lead me because I know how much of a wreck I am when I lead me. Would you say what came into play is Romans 12:2, Bob, and do not be conformed to this world, the thinking of the world, even even as a Christian here, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The Word of God, like and like Penny was saying, the more that you know what is right, actually we know it's a good thing and we want it, but at the same time we find out, oh, well then I can't do this anymore. It was easy back then, but now here are the things that is expected of me. And as we grow in Christ, yeah, it's just like little babies. When, they, when they're brand new, God is very, very gracious with all of us. But if you remember some of the things that you continue to do as, as early as young Christians, if you did some of those now, the Lord would probably put His rod on you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, He's very gracious. That's what He did with Israel. You know, when they were in the wilderness, um, the first thing they did was start complaining after three days of no water, which, you know, I can see why they'd be complaining. But with the attitude in their complaining... We see what was wrong there, and uh, the deal is, is God didn't punish them right there. He could have just laid them out and just blew them all away. But instead, what did He do? He gave them sweet water, and then led them to an oasis. Elam. <laughs> twelve palm trees. Twelve wells. Beautiful place. Let, you know, and that's he's a gracious guy. He kept doing that constantly. Not that we're to presume on his grace, but you know, as he was teaching them more and more about who he was, then he expected more, though. And then he did bring on punishment when the, uh, severe punishment on them. Right, but even you know, when you put it that way, I'd rather be in battle than doing it my way. Yeah, yeah. I've also heard it put. Uh, like uh, live up to the light that's been given you. Yeah, yeah. And we can thank thank the Lord that He keeps giving us more light. Why do we want to come to Bible study and go to worship and listen to uh, CDs and and good teaching on the radio and everything whenever we're going to learn more and now be held responsible more for? <laughs> well, because we're we want to be conformed to Him. That's really what it is. Is you know, it gives glory to Him. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want. To, that's that's our problem. We we've been trusting ourselves, and now I I, I just I just want to trust what what he has. That's good. And if he doesn't, then we wonder why isn't he doing anything? Hey, we're in a learning process. We are in school every day. But we never quit being human either. You know, I mean, you look at the saints in the Old Testament, and even though they walked so closely with the Lord, you know, they had their pitfalls. Boy, they went right back to being human. Well, if it's possible. The next, next one's interesting, isn't it? If it's possible, as much as depends on you. Now, we've just seen that he said, okay, do what's right. Now, live peaceably with all men. Now, reality says there's difficulties with this. Because it says it right here. Because he says, if it is possible. We'd like to have peace with everybody. I mean, who wouldn't? Most people wouldn't. Well, maybe, I can't even say most anymore because why are people killing people or hurting people? Robbing, uh, right in Columbia, Jeff City, you know. 
but really, most people, I think, or at least we know, we, we like to have peace always. But with some people, we know it's not possible. And we have tried. And it is not possible. And it doesn't matter what we say. And we can even say, you know, forgive me, even if there is no reason to say forgive me. Saying, if I've done something, please forgive me. And they still won't do it. Well, what do you do with that? Well, when he, the reason he says, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, you know, you do what you can to keep it peaceful. Live peaceably with all men. There's two things here. For one thing, there's the behavior of those people which really can negate peace. They don't want the peace. And it doesn't matter what you do. Or secondly, truth that we have cannot be compromised, though. Yeah, they'll take your peace if you do things their way in a sinful way. And you know there is no room for compromise in this situation. We cannot trade away our truth at all, can we? I think, uh, what does it say in James 3... James uh, 3.17 there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what we want to do. But it's still, it's saying it's a pure wisdom. We want to use wisdom and whenever uh, our peace is not accepted and we try all that we know what to do uh, with all possibility that, that we we know of um, and you know that this is not a pure situation, uh, we, we have to keep that. It's, it's pure, it's peaceful, it's gentle. Uh, and, and in that sense, but we cannot uh, ever turn that away. We have a commitment to truth. We have a commitment to purity, to a commitment to honesty. So that that's what makes peace possible. And if it cannot include those ingredients, if our peace doesn't bring in truth, um, then that peace is a false peace anyway. So there are two difficulties or limitations to the aspect of bringing peace to all men. Uh, there's There are ways that we are to contribute to peace. Here are some of the things I think that would be helpful in when he says, if it's possible. You know, it depends on you. Here's what you do. Go back to Proverbs. There's several in Proverbs that tell us how to do things. A lot of wisdom in Proverbs. So it said wisdom there in James, didn't it? James uses a lot of quotes from Proverbs. So we'll go in there. 12, 16. We'll just kind of uh, advance through a few chapters here of Proverbs. 10, verse 12. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The root of the righteous yields fruit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Got that right? You know what? That's a good one, but it's 10, 12. You know what I did? Hatred stirs up strife, but love, what? Covers all sins. So we don't try to build it up more and more and try to make somebody really look bad. What do we do? Well, you just don't cover up sin and just 
you know, be, you know, in that in that sense. But it's like you don't make something out of something or try to build upon that. You know, it's uh, a matter of fact. If if they've done something, you want to edify that person in some way. You, you know, you start with that. Love love wants to cover all wrongs. It's First Corinthians thirteen will bring that out. Same kind of thought. Now go to twelve. I said twelve earlier. Uh, verse sixteen. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. He doesn't boast it out. He doesn't advertise it. Let everyone know about somebody's shame, or in the other one, about their sin. He overlooks uh, maybe insults that have been thrown out. Uh, Moving on. Chapter 14, verse 9. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. Goodwill. There's favor. There's goodwill. Um, so, to contribute to peace, you, you know, you you don't you don't mock at sin, but you bring in uh, goodness, uh, the goodwill, uh, favor, grace. Uh, Fifteen, verse one. But a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So peace is going to be having a gentle answer with truth. Uh, I think of the passage that deals with we are to have truth with love. Is that Ephesians? Ephesians 4? We're to be truthing in love at the same time. There's your balance. You can give all the truth that you want. If you don't give it out of love, it's uh, it's not going to be taken very well. But if you just want to love and eliminate the truth out of it, and all we just all get along together without having that, then it's going to be imbalanced too, and that leads to danger. The two go hand in hand. But it, still, yet you know you want to defend the faith uh, as far as apologetics are concerned, but you do it with a gentle answer. Seventeen uh, nine. These are just the how-to, the practical things, aren't they? How to live life. He who covers a transgression seeks love. There we go again. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. That means he talks about it and uh, goes to other people, spreads that around. But if we stop it right there, covering the transgression, covers offenses. 17.14 The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Bob, your guy's house had uh, quite a leak sprung a leak and once that water started what did it do? Our usual monthly bill is 55 bucks or 50 bucks so another you know, pretty good chunk there. Did a pipe uh, break? Was that what the deal was? Yeah. Yeah we had a main from the underneath the house. Uh-huh. And all the neighbors got to enjoy the water. It released water. That water is a good thing, but whenever it goes <laughs> out of control, right? The the water bill is what it ran. Yeah, yeah, that that part of it. The pipe is another thing. A few hundred, right? <laughs> you haven't had that happen to you, have you? You've had that happen, right? Well, we're still waiting on the on the repair charges. And you're responsible for that. I didn't know that. Fifteen hundred. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 the 
It's the line that the, the line property owner is responsible for, from the meter to the... I have all my copper ones now. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't see them. That was a surprise, wasn't it? You'd think, oh, okay, they'll take care of that. Ooh. <laughs> Go play it. <laughs> he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he. Uh, oh, oh, wait. What was it? Uh, 14. Uh, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention. Stop that water before a quarrel starts. I mean, get your pipes fixed before they break. What are you supposed to do? Start digging in there? Let me check my pipes today. <laughs> yeah, how do you find that out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when you find out. Yeah. Stop contention before a quarrel. That means drop the quarrel. You have a quarrel going? Here's how you do it. Drop it. Stop. Don't let it go any further. Yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah. Stop it. Huh. How about this? Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. That's what Nike said. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. 22, 29.22. An angry man stirs up strife. Is that right? And a furious man abounds in transgression. Yeah. Don't be angry. If you're angry, you're going to stir up strife. If you're furious, you're just going to sins are just going to explode out of you now. Okay, what do we have here? This is how you try to make peace. And when you do all those things, and you thought of everything that you can think of, and and you say, "How am I going to drive? I'm going to take up all those proverb verses that I read, and I'm going to try to work these out." And if you tried all those, you can say, "I don't know what else to do." Then, if they don't want peace, they don't. You tried. And if you really try, then okay. Uh, but you're contributing. God knows you did that. You know you did it. Uh, so that's how you put this into action. Yeah, Bob. Conscience is clear. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it, this is action here, this this Romans 12. I mean, this is um, putting the shoes on and, and walking it. And... Uh, I think when when he says, if it's possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men, uh, don't avenge yourselves. Matter of fact, that means never. Um, I think we're moving into verse 19 now. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. And that means don't ever do that. Uh, fighting back is not the nature of a Christian. Our nature from the physical flesh is always to get back. But if we renew our mind and we know what is good, now our new nature says, no, I have to drop this. Uh, Just forbear this. But what about my rights? You know, surely I have to stand up for my rights. Oh, do you? Do you have to do that? (laughs) That's right. That's where you're, you're Galatians, right? Uh, whose rights do you stand up for? Stand up for somebody else's rights. You know, stand up for their rights, and and you know if if what they're standing for is true, don't fight for yourself though. Stand up for what God says and His truth, and if it means for for somebody else, do that. But you don't have to fight for yourself because the battle is not ours anyway; it is the Lord's, uh, and He's calling for something here really radical. Um, beloved, Paul, you know, addresses 
you know, hey, I love you. You are beloved. Do not avenge yourselves. That means to stop it. Don't ever do it again. Uh, you sh- you can't be doing it. Don't do it. Don't have any right to do that. But that, but that does not mean to go to court that you sit there and you've been accused of something that is not right. Yeah, we're talking. Okay, and this you're is a personal thing. About, you're talking about the heart here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about. Right. You go to court. You I mean, there are times that people are, are doing evil things to you personally. Yeah, do you let you, them go ahead and you condi- can't just, just let yeah. them keep doing that? That's not good for them, and it's sure not good for you. Oh, they're throwing baseballs. They're throwing uh, uh, baseball bats through through my window, and uh, because that I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to just uh, lay here and let that happen. And they're igniting. Oh, they're going to burn up my house. Well, <laughs> I have to do this. I have to let them do it because right. I, you know I don't want to stir up strife and. Right. And of course, this it, is. It's the it's the that the vengeance vengeance is is a, a difficult word. Vengeance is a frame of mind, or a, um, uh, it's a matter of the heart. And it's something that we never do. We never have vengeance. I mean, you can yeah. hit a person without vengeance. Hitting. Okay, now you might have to explain that one. I mean, you can hit a Are you going to hit me tonight? <laughs> if you keep picking on me. All right, <laughs> if we keep doing this. <laughs> I'm thinking. You are picking on me. What you're talking about is people throw things. Or say, let's say they shoot at your house. Yeah. And then there's somebody that comes along to say, hey, they're, they're called in a crime. But you don't go out of your way. You would go to court and you would take care of the You use what the law has been given. Because right. if you go back to the Old Testament right. law, that was to be practiced. Well, somebody had to report it. If they did something against you, but we are not to do it on a personal vengeance. We are to use the law. And that's why chapter 13 is written right after 12. <laughs> I think it's, matter of fact, it was not written in 13, uh, and having 13 uh, right there uh, from the very outset. There were no chapter divisions. It follows suit that when it comes to where people are taking advantage of people, then the governing authorities have to come into play. And he has a chapter dealing with that. Yeah. His comment along those lines was, uh, I can either console the parents of the teenagers killed in the car wreck, or I can reach forward, take a hold of the wheel, and try to avert the wreck in the first place. He chose to reach forward and to try and avert the wreck in a a drastic move. Uh, He lost his life doing so. Yeah. Now, at the beginning of that, when that was just kind of a thought, what are we going to do here? His brother-in-law said to him, what do you think of that verse that says those who live by the sword will die by the sword? And he said, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. And that's all we commonly made. And ultimately... That's what it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, they all did die by the sword. Yeah, and I think the Bonhoeffer story, it, it is fascinating. I, I think that he stepped into that 
And the interesting thing is, is not that that they stepped into it, but they stepped into it with eyes wide open. Amen. And it's kind of yeah. like, I think even with a little bit of, Lord, we don't know if we're doing the right thing, but we can't, also we can't live with our conscience and sit here and do nothing. There are people being killed. What are we to do? So, so you have a Christian plotting murder to, uh, to stop murder. And that's, matter of fact, we might take some time about civil disobedience in Romans 13. Oh, well, we could take some time and watch the movie, I suppose. <laughs> that's right, there was a movie on that. I have yeah. to have that. I think. What? Civil disobedience? You bring no. the popcorn? Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, if I bring a movie, you bring the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Who's bringing the soda? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, that is debated in the Christian realm. That's hard. Uh, it's a hard issue, well, but... We can even go on a step from that. Uh, even there shortly after his death, um, he was referred to as a martyr, and there were certain people who got mad and said, no, he was, he, it was a political death. He wasn't a martyr. But death is not called vengeance. No. He was no, not no. being hateful and spiteful and no. mean. He no. was doing... What he really thought was the right thing to do. And, and he finally had to come to the matter, is this right or wrong? Well, if he would have thought that it would have been wrong at all, knowing Bonhoeffer, he would not have done it. It was still it was still questionable, in, in, of course, in that whole realm. I mean, but he did what he thought was right. Yeah, the American, that's another one. Um, should that really have happened? What about civil disobedience? Um, What's the definition of vengeance, real quick? Vengeance is getting back at somebody for what they... Let's make it real easy. For what they have done to you. You want to repay them. Or what you have perceived. Yeah, right. Right. Well, see, but the the strict definition leaves out that heart thing. Because you can do some things like Bonhoeffer that look really not too good from the outside, but it wasn't vengeance. It was against someone that was doing something against... Right. It, yeah. He wasn't a selfish person. He was ready to give his life. And that's I see him as a martyr. Let's, let's, you know, right. but, and that's different. Vengeance is going after... It's almost like game. a personal level with a, a hate-filled heart. Let's, let's, let's go step further. Let's yeah. go step further with Bonhoeffer for just a second. There was a plot to break him out of prison. And that plot would probably have worked. Only problem is he wouldn't go along with it. And the reason he would not go along with it is that he knew that the Nazis would wreak vengeance on the wives and the children of the pastors that broke him out of prison. So it was not a selfish thing at all. He would not go. He stayed there and died rather than having them hurt. So vengeance is self-serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. That's that's what all this is is about. It's it's about self here, and God is telling us to give up self. There is room for the government. And of course, that's we're, we're, we'll be getting into that. We're heading right there. Even though when you follow all the prescriptions of the law, when you win, it really feels good. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there there is in a sense, you know. Well, what does it say here? Okay, yeah. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. And then he quoted this. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Give place to wrath. Often, we want to take the place of God. And a lot of times, we want to take it in our own hands, knowing that if God takes it in His own hands, this will be a long time, and I don't want to wait for this. (laughs) But if we know that God is the judge, and we are going to leave the execution of this to be carried out by Him, if we really trust in Him, we know, or we perceive, maybe not always, you know, but let's say we really have been wrong. We haven't done anything about it, but we say, I'm going to trust in God that He's going to do whatever is best to do. And that's a very difficult thing to do, especially if somebody has done something very evil, something very wicked. Uh, When people are attacking us, this is a test of faith. And whenever tests come along, we know that, well, God is the one that gives us tests ultimately anyway. How am I going to deal with this one? We are not to think the way the the world is going to think. Romans 12 says what? Renew our mind. Be transformed. Trust God. See beyond the present time of what is happening. Um, Whenever it says, um, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, there's a couple words that really work for wrath. There's one word for anger, and it's thumos. And thumos is dealing with the emotions. It's a boiling, it's a, a boiling rage, a vehement. Uh, it's it's emotional, and you just burn and you boil up. Okay. Uh, God has uh, that in a sense. His wrath. Sometimes the, the word orge will be used. And that means a settled anger. He has that kind of anger. He, you know, an, an emotional wrath, but it's not out of control. It's, it's perfect anger. God's anger falls on the emotional boiling intensity of it. But you know, as it boils, you know, and it gets it it gets stronger. Yeah, and then finally he brings on that. And in God's wrath, whenever there's a word used for that, it falls on a controlled. Uh, it's a it's a settled direction on what it's going to do. It's not going to go out of hand. It's focused on the very application of how he deals with this. Um, And we have to be careful about drawing a a hard line, I guess, between his orge, which is that boiling rage, and then also the wrath, which carries us out. But his wrath is never cool or indifferent. Uh, His anger is never out of control. Uh, It's always... Uh, directed to the fury, and it's done with perfect wisdom. Um, And what you see here is mercy here, and you see justice. He tells us to have mercy on them because we know He had mercy on us. We know that without His mercy, we should have been put into hell the very moment we were conceived and be there forever. We know we don't deserve anything good. But he tells us to be merciful uh, with them. And yet there's justice here involved because justice is going to be uh, dealt with. God is going to do that. You who are mistreated, uh, it's like saying, don't take justice into your own hands. God is the one that will do that. And he uses the government to do that. Do not seek vengeance upon them. Don't don't repay what they've done in that sense. Uh, does that mean there's not going to be any justice? 
No. There will be justice. And if it's not done by the governing authorities here in this life, I will guarantee you for that evil, wicked person, God will judge. I think this this is profound when we realize that vengeance belongs to God and nobody else. The governing authorities are not to have vengeance, but God himself does. And that's woven right into reality. Uh, the universe, the the world, whatever it, you know, it's, it's God has an absolute commitment to justice, and justice will be done always. It'll be done maybe different in the timing that we would have, but to dishonor Him in the sense of taking our own vengeance is to take away uh, His glory in a sense, because He's going to punish them, and He has infinite worth. You know, his, his uh, glory does. And that's be, to be put on display. Justice is to be put on display. Wrath is to be put on display. We may not ever see it. But it's to the ultimate good and the ultimate value. That's a, quite a treasure. Uh, Proverbs 24, 17 and 18 says, uh, Don't, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Now, that's interesting. Even if we didn't do anything, we'd say, boy, I'm glad he got it. Now, you know, you're really smiling and laughing about it. And then in verse 18 of the Proverbs 24, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. (laughs) So we shouldn't be joyful about somebody being punished. Uh, Now that God's justice is done, yes, we can um, uh, glorify God on that, but we should be uh, disturbed by what sin does and how it comes uh, out and the result of it. We are to put good into action. This is extreme. If one did not know what Christianity was about, do not avenge yourselves, but give place to wrath. Give, give that to God. God says it's, it's His and uh, His alone. We don't. And uh, then he says we're to do good if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, that says the enemy. <laughs> the enemy. Keep burning coals. And there are a lot of different ideas on this. But there's two realities, I think, in this whole context, not just one. One is mercy. And, and blessing is here if they repent. If they repent out of this, look at the blessing in that. That is the whole idea of even in the church, there's to be church discipline. The reason there is, is that one would be restored. And there would be blessing out of that. Uh, so you have, But if you don't have the blessing, then you're going to have justice and wrath coming out from the part of God. Um, and it's like Paul is saying, hey, you'll keep burning coals on his head. I think it's, it's naturally referring to the justice reality not just the mercy reality also. Or we can say, hey, listen, I'm going to make him look bad by going over there and giving him some good things happening. That's going to make him feel bad. It's not really doing that. It's the fact that, hey, maybe this will make him repent if I can do some good things. But if he doesn't, well, then God is going to judge him for not repenting. This is why God's uh, love works for his enemies. Um when he, when he says, do this for your enemies, it's uh, love works uh, out for our enemies. Our desire is that they repent. They don't repent. 
then the weight of wrath is on their heads. And as they continue to sin more and do more and more of those things, then God will, it's like he, his wrath is heaping up for what their sins are doing, as they're heaping up. Romans 2, I think, speaks about that. Yeah. So it's not that we want to make them feel bad and like putting burning coals on there. And you'll hear about people in the in the Middle East countries would put burning coals on their head and, and take them to the, the neighbor's house. And, and John Piper said, I have never seen historically where uh, I've never read any place uh, where that really has been reported. You'll hear all sorts of things about the, the culture and the customs of this, but the the more mercy that they reject, if they reject your mercy, then it's like the sense of the more coals of fire will be heaped on their head. And God will bring that out. Ooh, very good. I was just listening to that story this morning, Chuck Swindoll, talking about that, where David had the chance to uh, murder Saul in the cave when he was sleeping. And he said, far be it for me to go against the Lord's anointed king. Beautiful. You know, he was thinking of God instead of his own predicament. Very good. Mercy has a way of, it, it does one of two things. Either it breaks a person or it hardens a person. Mm. And if they reject your mercy, most likely they will reject God's mercy as well. Because the two are, are so linked together. I mean, as, as you are God's emissary in that situation, uh, in a great sense, rejecting your mercy is the same thing as rejecting God's mercy isn't that kind of what happened with Pharaoh as it's brought out in Romans 9? The mercy part. Well, yeah. let, let, let's take a different portion of Scripture for a moment, Dennis. Um, take Isaiah. don't know the address. My word will not return unto me void. When the word of God is preached correctly in law and gospel, it always has an effect to the elect. He will be broken, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, that will not despise, David said in the Psalms. To the, uh, to the unregenerate, he will become pardoned. But the word did not come back void. It had an effect every time. Each and every time it's preached to each and every individual, it has an effect. Either it has an effect to harden, or it has an effect to pardon. The word of God does that. So it's always... Effective. So, in, in a great sense, if you are enacting God's mercy to someone, it will have one of the two effects. Either it's going to break them, and you will, rest, and, and they will, they will be restored by that mercy, and you have a brother, or they will be hardened to God's wrath. I think I think that's uh, exactly where that's that's pointing to. That's the idea here. Um, I like the idea of uh, we, I had First Samuel 24. If you want to look at those later in First Samuel 26, you'll see what what Bob was talking about. That happened more than one occasion with David, and we saw that Saul there was mercy given to him by David, and he, as Bill was talking about, he rejected it. And as he rejected it, he continued to get harder. His heart did until ultimately he uh, takes his own life in the battle along with the, with his son. Um, bless and do not curse 
pray for our enemies, and let God do what He's going to do. And boy, that's when you turn it over to Him and let Him do it, believe me, you're in the best place you can possibly be because you can't lose in that situation. And uh, the last verse says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul has kept repeating this throughout this whole section. And we're about ready to wrap uh, up. And um, it started in verse 14. Uh, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then he'll state it again. Repay no evil for evil in, in verse 17. Uh, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but you overcome it. Paul keeps repeating a high standard. We live on high standards <laughs> as Christians. And uh, those actions are to, uh, are to be presented. We're to overcome evil with good. Uh, this was stated by Piper. I thought it was really good. It's real simple. If you let a person's sin govern your emotions so that your sinful anger or your misery or your depression is owing to their evil, then you are, be, are being overcome by evil. If you, What he's saying is if you have let their animosity against you come back in a, an anger that you have and a misery and it even depresses you, what has happened? You didn't overcome them their actions overcame you. Evil overcame what could be good. Uh, I'll close this out. Has anybody ever heard of Graham Staines? And as I talk about the story, you might be familiar, maybe you're thinking about this. Um, Graham Staines had two sons. One was Philip and one was Tim. They were ten and six years old. And they were uh, mobbed by a lot of radical Hindus. Uh, They were in the car they were trapped inside this, and this was in India. Okay, They were burned alive. So it was a father and his two sons. Their bodies were charred, and uh, they were clinging to each other as they had burned up. He had spent 34 years in India um, serving people there uh, in the name of Christ. He was a director of a, a mission, and there was a widow that was left behind. And a daughter. So it was a mother and a daughter. And you have to wonder, well, how was her response? Here is an enemy religion. I hated Christianity. And in the paper, she was reported as all this was for the glory of Christ. And this was said a few days after her husband and her two sons were martyred. She said this. This goes beyond my, my imagination. I have only one message for the people of India, right? I am not bitter. Neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Now, every thought, everybody thought that they would leave India, go back to their home in Australia. No. She said, no, God has called them to India, and she was not going to leave. Her daughter was not going to leave, and she said this, My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. But that's not the most remarkable statement. This is the one that's even better. 
It's about her teenager, her daughter Esther. And she was asked how she felt about the murder of her dad and her two brothers. She's 13 years old. She said this, I praise the Lord that He found my father worthy to die for Him. A 13-year-old girl. I praise the Lord that He found my father worthy to die for Him. That's profound. Who is sufficient for this? This is a high calling. And uh, when, we ha- when we start thinking about how God treated us in the way that He should have treated us, if we've been saved by grace, we will be gracious. If we are not, we have never known the grace of God. If we don't practice grace, we don't know grace. We don't have it. We don't have God's grace if we don't practice it. We must forgive because we have been forgiven. We have no option. And then you look at Christ's example. Um, We were the enemies. We have to marvel at this wisdom that's closing out this chapter. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at the the power that's behind this, the the whole scope of this, this gospel. Only the gospel can do this. Only what the cross did, what Christ did at the cross, only the gospel, this good news, can, can do this. There's no other religion, no other isms that can even get close to this. It takes sinners who only live for themselves and then turns them into people who overcome the world's evil. And then we exalt God's uh, name we exalt His Word of truth here. We live it out. He gets the glory. We do it in our daily lives. And so we we started at chapter 12 about how we lived out this Christian life and it started with uh, His mercy and then the truth of Him and then He gives us the gifts, the power to do it. And then He says, okay, this is how you work in the church. Now here's how you work uh, versus the world and, and the people who might even hate what you believe in. And here, I'm marveling at this wisdom that God has just given us. This is beyond anything natural. This is the supernatural realm. It's the Word of God. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for coming out. This is powerful. And may we all be able to benefit. Uh, Could we stand?